Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. During last week's Monday Night Football game, Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin performed what looked like a routine tackle on Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. What happened next was anything but routine. DeMar Hamlin collapsed, and he had to be resuscitated on the field. The NFL and Buffalo Bills medical staff later said that his heart actually stopped beating. It was a harrowing moment, and this incident has once again elevated issues of football and player safety. Later this hour, we'll talk about the physical risks of the sport with a neurosurgeon and talk to fans, coaches, and parents about their concerns. But first, let's get an update on our Tennessee Titans. Over the weekend, we took on the Jacksonville Jaguars in a winner-takes-all contest for the AFC South Division title and a spot in the playoffs. To help us break down the game, I'd like to welcome Teresa Walker, pro football writer for the Associated Press, who covers the Titans. Teresa, thanks for being with us today, and welcome to This is Nashville. My pleasure to join you all. And yes, it's not the finish that anyone expected when this franchise started off seven and three. It's the longest skid. Well, I, you know, I knew that they had matched the longest skid in 2015, which cost Ken Wisenhunt his job after a one and six start. Mm -hmm. But the person who lost their job in this midst of this losing streak was the GM. And uh, the, and the owner made it very clear. She kind of sees that as the, maybe the bigger problem for, and I've seen a lot of people since uh, the loss to the Jags saying, I want Mark Vrabel's job too. Calm down. He was able to coach what he was given, and that's the challenge. I definitely want to ask you some questions about player personnel and the general manager, John Robinson, being fired a little bit later. But what has the reaction been to Saturday night's loss? Well, it's it's really bizarre. There were people, of course, who wanted to see them win, win the division, put down Jacksonville as the little brother. Uh, but the challenge is uh, there's also other people thinking, well, let's get a higher draft pick and they're going to pick 11. So it's like, you know, it, it's definitely better than where they picked uh, this last offseason when they had to trade away A.J. Brown to move up to 18. Mm -hmm. You know, when you win your division, you end up going, you know, farther and farther into the 20s. So they're going to have a chance to to pick a good player maybe you know the cost won't be as high if they see somebody they really like and decide they want to try to trade up a little bit to get that though the one thing is they're they're not going to have as many draft picks because well one you know Dennis Daly the left tackle who replaced Taylor Lawn after his torn ACL uh guess what a draft pick was used to bring him to Tennessee uh before he was expected to be released by the Carolina Panthers so uh I, I haven't seen the final number yet on how many draft picks they have but uh you know the the, the way they finished with this seven game skid is they will be picking higher than they have in recent years at, to the start each round you know they'll be essentially the 11th pick to start each round in the april draft now you know we look at how this season played out they were seven and three they went on this horrible skid like you noted you know the team was really not living up to the expectations that titans fans had this has been a consistent playoff team if not afc south division winner what stands out to you as some of the major factors for this disappointing season 
Well, injuries. I mean, for a second straight year, they led the league in most injuries. And, you know, a year ago, they set the NFL record in a non-strike season using 91 players. This year, uh, last count going into the Jacksonville game when they were probably their healthiest in weeks was 86. And, uh, you know, they have 23 on IR. Well, they had brought two back, giving them 25 for the season that went back on IR. Um, and last year, they had 26 on IR to finish the season from the end of the uh, preseason so it, it's almost ridiculous and you know the, you can kind of try you know when you look at why Amy Adams people are like well the last time they won was when you know was, was the Green Bay game and then she fired him in the midst of the skid well part of the reason was the the roster construction that was her, one of her reasons and Caleb Farley draft pick of a, you know, 2021 he finished both of his first two seasons on IR and he was drafted a few weeks after a second not one but a second back surgery on uh, a disc. Uh, Dylan Radens, you know, was a second round pick in 21. He was taken from an FCS school. It's power in North Dakota State, but he had played one game in all of 2020 because of the pandemic. So, uh, and then, you know, the trades for Julio Jones coming off an injury, uh, a, a hamstring riddled injury season the year before, uh, traded for Robert Woods, veteran receiver. Now, grant, you know, granted, Robert Woods uh, played every game this season, kind of impressive, but, uh, you know, Bud Dupree was signed coming off an ACL and he missed games. Uh, they picked up Zach Cunningham off waivers, reworked his contract. He missed a bunch of games on and ended the season on IR because of an elbow injury. I mean, you know, when you when you keep bringing in players that you're counting on to be starters and they end up, you know, for missing games or on the injured reserve list, ending their seasons, uh, it, it leaves you with little to work with. And, you know, for the people who are wanting to play put the blame on Mike Vrabel, you can only, you know, when you're getting guys in on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and having to get them ready to play on Sunday, it, you know, they've, they've done that really kind of incredibly well, but at a certain point, the, the dam kind of breaks, and it feels like that's what happened. I mean, let's face it, who did they start in the final two games of the season? A practice squad quarterback, journeyman, as much as Josh Dobbs is beloved in Tennessee for what he did at the University of Tennessee in college, the challenge is this. He, you know, he was the one who started the final two games trying to get you one win and get you into the playoffs. And unfortunately, you know, Josh is great. You know, he picked up the offense really quickly, but there were two crucial mistakes. And and I, and I, for one, and I've talked with many other people who still think the the deciding touchdown for the Jaguars that was more of an interception. The arm was going, or, I mean, uh, it should have been an incomplete pass, arm going mm. forward rather than a strip sack fumble return for a touchdown. But, yeah. you know, it, it's one of those things where everything compiled and built. And at a certain point, you just can't keep bringing in guys who don't know your system and play the way you prepared all offseason. Now, you know, you're talking about quarterback Josh Dobbs, who did play valiantly in this effort to try to get Tennessee into the playoffs. But, you know, what about the future of quarterback Ryan Tannehill, who also ended the season on injured reserve? Do you think he'll return to the Titans next year? How likely is it? 
Well, I'll say this. This offensive line needs so much work. I can easily look at this roster and say, redo Ryan Tannehill's contract, you know, maybe add a year or two to it. Same with, uh, uh, with Derrick Henry, you know, Derrick Henry's going into the final year of his deal and, you know, find a way to lower some of their cap hits, get some more, you know, extend them a little bit because this team has so many areas to fix. It'd be nice to be able to say quarterback is the one thing you need to do. Now the dead cap money, this year, Ryan Tannehill led the entire NFL with a dead cap number of $57.4 million. Mm. That dead cap number drops to 18.8 for 23. So, uh, you know, the, the, the money goes way down. Same for Derrick Henry going into the final year of his deal. And by the way, he just turned in the, you know, the second most uh, yards from scrimmage in his career. So for a guy who turned 29 on Wednesday, he, you know, I, I still think that he's got enough tread on the tires there that you can probably get a couple more seasons out of of him for sure and then focus on you know we're adding talent to the offensive side of the ball I mean you know the numbers are bad they're near the bottom in total yards offense total points uh you know passing yards and you know it, it the problem is you know Ryan Tannehill or whether it was Malik Willis or even Josh Dobbs you know didn't have a lot of time behind that patchwork line they came into the season needing to replace two starters it ended up being three when Taylor Lewan you know tore his ACL and set September. And at this point, I can make an argument that uh, you you still need to replace three starters on this offensive line and you need more help at wide receiver. Uh, you know, trading for Robert Woods was nice. Uh, getting Traylon Burks was with the 18th pick was nice. But, you know, you look at the rest of this roster, who is it that scares you in, in the, as a receiving target? Not really anybody at this point. So let me and ask, that's a that's a big problem. So let me ask you about that. What do you think? Put your crystal ball on. You know, look at your crystal ball and your magic hat real quick. We're looking at the NFL draft. We're looking at free agency. What can the Titans do, given their salary cap situation? What can they do to improve the roster of this team to get the best out of the last years of Ryan and Tannehill and keep Derrick Henry while he's still the king? Well, I see some salary cap cuts coming very, very early. Taylor Lewan, I mean, he's torn his same ACL twice in three years. Taylor's a great guy. Uh, and for the people saying sign him for the player minimum, why would you bring back a guy who has torn the same ACL in two of the last three years and told us in June that all of last year that he was available, he wasn't himself because, you know, when you tear an ACL, it, it can take a while to come back. Not everybody recovers at the same right so ben jones is at center he had two concussions in a month if he retires that gives you some cap savings uh bud dupree uh he's missed so many games since you did sign him also coming off an acl so you either restructure his deal or you release him sack cunningham is the guy that uh since you reworked his deal he's barely been available to you this year uh you know the number of games he's played is is almost ridiculously low so there are there are there are several places that that they can go to, to to make some moves to clear up some space. And should they try to, if they want to go try and trade up and get one of the quarterbacks in this draft, well, guess what? Uh, then maybe you do think about a trade of Ryan Tannehill because, again, that dead cap number makes it a lot easier to do that kind of a move this offseason. But uh, considering that he was, I mean, you know, he, the, the biggest problem Ryan Tannehill had this season, his ankles. He got, he, he rolled both ankles. 
And the second one, it's amazing he still finished that game. But, you know, you've got to be on the field to be available. And in this year, compared to a year ago, when he had so you know, more than double the interceptions that he had the year before or the previous two seasons with the Titans, that number came down. He was more accurate this year. Um, but, you know, it, it, that's that's just one of the many questions this franchise has to answer. And one of the first is uh, they've got to, you know, kick their search into GM into high gear now. Yeah, that GM is going to be responsible for not only how the draft plays out, but also free agency. Now, I want to switch tone a little bit. After the break, we're talking about the impact of DeMar Hamlin's injury from last Monday's game. Now, you know, Teresa, you've been covering the NFL for a long time, and I know you've seen a lot of injuries, some minor, others very serious. What was your reaction to what happened last Monday? Well, it was scary. I mean, I have covered I have covered a game where an ambulance come, came on the field and took a player to the hospital. Um, but usually, you get uh, you know many times you know the player goes down and they're strapped to a board, and and you know you're looking for a thumbs up or a wave or something to get it. You know, and usually it's a you know you're worried about paralysis. In this case. You know, when, you know, we saw the reports that they were, you know, and, and when, when players make a wall around somebody so that you can't see in, that's never a good sign, right? Mm. Usually players will take a knee nearby and, and take a, you know, and be praying or watching to see what's going on. They formed a wall so that uh, fans, TV cameras, reporters, that nobody could see into what they were doing. That was an immediate sign that that was just not good and something we hadn't seen on a football field. So the closest thing I can come to this is uh, TSU a couple years ago when they were playing Vanderbilt and they had the young man go down and, you know, with the traumatic brain injury. And thank God they, I mean, you know, if you're going to have that kind of an injury, it's good to be that close to a level one trauma center. And, you know, he, he his recovery, you know, the fact that he survived was because he was so close to a hospital. So when you're looking at that, you know, the immediate fear is, is he alive? And then you see the reports that they were giving CPR, that they had to resuscitate him. And, you know, and then, you know, there's, you know, was it nine minutes and it took so long, 30 minutes to get him from the field to the hospital. Uh, you're, you're wondering what's the delay and that's never a good thing. So when, when he, when the news came out on Wednesday, I think it was that, uh, you know, he, he was awake and was, you know, was writing down questions. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, I think that was, it, it's one of the most amazing recoveries I've seen to possibly the most terrifying thing I've seen happen on a football field. And yes, I've been watching the NFL and other football levels of football since the seventies. That is Teresa Walker. She covers the Titans for the Associated Press. Teresa, thanks for being here and thank you for your reporting. My pleasure. And pl uh, always fun to join you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with a medical expert about what can be done to make football safer for players in the NFL all the way down to Pop Warner. Are you a football fan? How do you feel about the game after last Monday night? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. NFL player DeMar Hamlin has seen a remarkable recovery in the week since he collapsed and had to be resuscitated on the field. 
during a Monday night football game last week. From his hospital bed this weekend, he was able to watch his team, the Buffalo Bills, take on the New England Patriots in the final week of the NFL regular season. Even so, the public nature of Hamlin's injury and the medical response shook the entire sports world. It also renewed conversations about player safety in the NFL and football in general. As a fan, I think it's important to remember that football is a game, a very violent game. And while people in the stands and watching at home can ooh and ah over crushing hits, it is the players who must live with the physical consequences of this entertainment. So today we're looking at how football impacts the body and asking, what can we do to make it safer? This is a question best suited for a former football player. Ingle Martin is head coach at Christian Presbyterian. He is a formal, former NFL quarterback who spent time with the Green Bay Packers, Denver Broncos, and Tennessee Titans. Ingle, thanks for being here, and welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Really great to have you with us, my friend. So, you know, as a former player, what was going through your mind when DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field last week? Yeah, so um, I actually was was out at a dinner with my wife, and um, my mom was in town, um, if I'm remembering this correctly, and my my kids were uh, were at home watching the game with her. And so we got home, and she had it frozen, and she was like, you've got to watch what just happened. And so I've got a, a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old, both boys and both uh, you know, would like to think of themselves as people that want to play football, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so in that moment, you know, I was caught between uh, dad, you know, trying to explain this to my kids, uh, coach, you know, interested on, you know, uh, you know, how how in the world did this happen? And then, you know, as a as a human being, like that's another human being that, that just uh, appeared to go lifeless, you know. And so it really came at me a lot of different ways. And um, I think the the biggest thing is when when that happened and, and you just said it on your lead in or or maybe it was the last thing you said on the last segment but um, we got to remember these are people um and this is entertainment right um but you know demar's got family that he wants to go home and see every day um, every one of those players have families that they want to go see every day and so trying to keep the right perspective and and unfortunately it takes um something traumatic like this to kind of reframe uh, what's really important to all of us in life. And so um, I thought that was that was remarkable, right? What happened with the with the whole country watching and, and just the amount of support and prayers and and just well wishes that DeMar got and the Buffalo Bills got um, was pretty life giving. You know, his mm-hmm. his um, tragic moment, I think, really inspired a lot of people to kind of reframe what's important. And, and probably uh, there were a few more dads and moms and, and parents that hugged their kid a little bit tighter that played football that night mm-hmm. um, or that play football in general, just being thankful that, that they are, are getting to do life with them. But, but we do have to remember it is a violent game. And so uh, I think your question is fair. Like, you know, how do we, how do we continue to make the game safer? And, and if I think uh, if you look through the history of the game, um, I think the NFL has led it and college footballs follow, but the game has, uh, I think become, a lot safer than than where it was uh, last century, and mm-hmm. and even you know the medical experts I think will will agree um, on some of that. But there are certain elements of the game that we still haven't figured out, and and I think probably the biggest one is is the concussion piece, which we're not even talking about today. Let me um, ask you this. Let me ask you this. You've played yeah. at different levels, high school, college, and the highest level in the NFL. Have you ever been present for a really serious in- injury? 
Um, yeah, you know, we we had a uh, we had a similar moment um, as soon as Demar's injury happened, and I watched it. We had a similar moment at a scrimmage uh, several years ago, and um, uh, you know, it was it was a preseason scrimmage, and and a, a, one of our players took a, a direct blow to the chest, very similar to Demar's, and and he uh, he collapsed, and you know. I, as a, as a person that, that, um, is not a medical expert, has been around football. People don't usually collapse like that. And we went and, um, and checked on him, you know, obviously, you know, in the two or three seconds, it took us to get out there to check on our player. Um, you know, everything's running through your head and he, he kind of rebooted, like he, he Mm. turned back on and was like ready to go. But, but that moment that, that two or three, four seconds, um, that it took and and we weren't sure, what that was he didn't really have concussion symptoms afterwards but uh you know you don't know just and i don't know the body well enough to to talk about it uh really well but but you know that there are there is some phenomenon where when the heart's empty and the blood that they can send you into cardiac arrest and so they're not sure if that's what happened to damar our player he got checked out by heart doctors he got checked out by neurologists and and everything came back and so we still don't really know what it was and his mom explained to me what they think it was but yeah it it definitely was a scary moment that's got to be frightening you know there's this saying in football that the best of ability is availability meaning regardless of a player's skill level if they can't play they can't help the team this concept alone has led to some players really fighting through injury to make it to the field in your experience did you face any spoken or unspoken pressure to play through physical pain well, I, I think the again the nature right at the highest level is is winning and being successful allows you to keep a job, which allows you to f- feed your family, provide for your family, you know, do well for yourself. Um, at at our level in high school, uh, I think that's that's really the fight because we are dealing with ninety nine percent of these kids are never going to play football past high school, let alone in the NFL, mm-hmm. and so. Um, when you think about that as a high school coach, you're really thinking about, you know, 30 and 40 year old men who are going to be leaders of our community doing different things. Right. But most of them, if not the vast majority are not going to be helping our community as football players. And even the football players, you know, at our place, we try to let them know that even if you have a 10 year career, you're going to be a 32 year old guy with the rest of his life out in front of them. And so I think, Keeping that in mind as a high school coach is really important, but you see players do it all the time in the NFL. Andrew Luck retired, you know, early. Um, there are a couple guys this year that I wish I could I could remember to to tell you their names, but you see guys that retire in, in maybe the su- supposed peak of their career um, because they reached that point where they started thinking about the cost of a knee, of uh, a back injury, of a shoulder injury. You know, I've got friends that I played with at the University of Florida um, who had all of those different orthos- orthoscopic surgeries that that really deal with joints. And so, you know, when you start thinking about joint pain the rest of your life, you start thinking about some of the different things. People do make that cost. And um, just like in every decision in life, there is a cost associated with it. And I think these guys in the NFL that are choosing to play injured, um, you know, whether whether people say it or not, it's kind of a, a badge of honor, right? If you're mm-hmm. playing through pain, then you are somebody that is reliable, back to your point of being available for competition. And so, you know, there's there's an old saying, right? The difference in being hurt and being injured, right? If you're yeah. hurt, you should be able to go back in and play. 
if you're injured, then you cannot help your team because you are injured. And so what is that fine line? And, and that's the that's the question that every man has to ask for himself. Right. That's a professional. But high school, we're talking about minors. Yeah. You know, and we're talking about parents making this decision or coaches or trainers or doctors helping make this decision. And we can get into a whole nother topic if you want to, but I don't think you want to today, but <laughs> yeah, just I, this, this professional, the professionalization of youth sports where is so something much money and, being made. It's, it's amazing. So note to our producers, that's definitely a show to do in the future because it's outside <laughs> of just yes. football and basketball. It's almost in every sport with the professionalization of youth sports, but you know, for decades, the NFL has faced criticism on how it handled head injuries and concussions. And it's caused the NFL to, at, and, and football at lower levels to really create concussion protocols to address player safety. I'd like to speak about that with my next guest. Dr. Aaron M. Yango Khan is the co-director of the Vanderbilt Sports Concussion Center and Vanderbilt's Sports Concussion Research Department. Dr. Yango Khan, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you, Khalil. You know, it appears that this injury that DeMar Hamlin suffered was cardiovascular in nature, and you work with head injuries specifically. But as a physician, what was your response when you heard about what happened? Uh, I was watching it live. Um, it was horrible to watch. It's, it's frightening. Um, you know, I think in the medical profession, uh, code situation or a cardiac arrest is something that we see, unfortunately, not uncommonly. Um, and it can be traumatic for everyone that is used to seeing it. And so not only for DeMar uh, in the moment, but all the players, um, Josh Allen's expression, uh, that is that's something that we know that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was, I think, the hardest part of it. But then the second thing was, you know, oh, my Oh my goodness! This is not a concussion. Uh, when you saw it, when I watched it on replay several times, that uh, was not behaving like a concussion. So that's when it gets scary because I think uh, a, you know your run of the mill concussion is something that we know how to handle. There's protocols for that, and we can treat that, and people recover, players recover and return from that. Whatever what you know when we, in the moment when we didn't know what was going on as viewers. Uh, you have to, your kind of mind goes to the worst case scenarios, cardiac arrests, brain bleeds, these these things that have longer recoveries and more complicated courses. Now, the Vanderbilt Sports Concussion Center has been treating and conducting research on sports-related head trauma for a little over a decade. What have you learned about how football impacts a person's head and spine? You know, I think there's there's a lot there. We at the at our concussion center, our research group, we really focus on understanding head injury in the context of sport uh, in general. And so, you know, when we talk to parents about this and we treat kids, um, it is about balance, risks and benefits of participating in sports. Sports and life carries risk. Just walking down the street carries risk. There is a very specific benefit to being part of a team and participating in sports. And when we try to, um, you know, discuss that with parents who, you know, say a child has had a concussion, has come in and would like to go back to sports, you know, always the question that come up, are what are the risks of the child going back to sports? And generally, after a full recovery and symptoms have resolved and they're tolerating exercise well and they've gone through the typical graded return to play protocol, they're going to do just fine, and they may have a slightly higher risk of a recurrent concussion, uh, but but not uh, prohibitively so. And I and I think that the benefit of getting back into sports and staying physically active 
uh, is is extremely important, especially as you're uh, for a developing child. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kali Olekolona. We're talking this hour about player safety in football with coach and former NFL quarterback Ingle Martin and neurosurgeon Dr. Aaron M. Yango Khan. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. Now, I know you've worked with the NFL in some capacity over the years. What has that work looked like, Dr. Yango Khan? It, uh so I would say that my my mentors, the, those that have trained me, Dr. Sills, who's now the the CMO, and Dr. Gary Solomon, have worked in a you know very minor capacity, helping with research and understanding uh, um, different variables that affect the recovery uh, in in uh, of head injury. A lot of my work is is based just at Vanderbilt and involves the community uh, here in Nashville, Middle Tennessee, and uh, kind of the southeast. Mm. Now, over the past decade, a lot of people have, there's a growing concern about players developing CTE, the traumatic brain condition that's caused through repeated injuries and blows to the head. Many NFL veterans and their families have gone on the record to talk about the serious long-term effects that they suffer from. I think most notably years ago when Hall of Famer Junior Seau took his own life um, and deliberately did not shoot himself in the head, but he shot himself in the chest so he could be studied. Tell me, Dr. Yungo Kang, like what does the current science say about CTE? So I think, you know, I, whenever I get asked this question, my my first comment is I don't think anyone believes it's good to hit your head repeatedly for, for decades. Mm-hmm. And But I think we're still in the infancy of understanding what kind of collection of variables leads to a junior say out moment. Is that primarily, is that all neurodegenerative disease? Is that neurodegenerative disease caused by football? Or is that something that we find in players uh, on top of superimposed on other diseases? If you look there, you know, I think in the literature, the most concerning study was a study that came out of the UK and soccer players actually, that showing a higher risk of neurodegenerative diseases in, in former professional soccer players in a very nicely done longitudinal study mm. where goalies actually had a very low incidence um, a relative you know to the normal population they don't head the ball mm. and so you know things like that are are concerning and you, but i think the kind of typical daily question uh, that a parent is asking uh, for for a high school player that's going to play four years of high school football and get the benefits of learning teamwork and learning uh, and having that kind of routine physical activity and um, extracurricular commitment to football. I'd, I'm not aware of any good science and strong evidence that that would lead to an increased risk of CT or or concerns down the road. Now, now and co- so that's the balance. Now, Coach Engel, you are you're a coach. You're teaching players technique. What are you teaching players so that they can be safe as possible on the field? Well, I, I think uh, a lot of um, the techniques that are being taught now are, are starting to take the head out of the tackle. Um, you know, again, uh, 20 years ago when I started I guess 25 years, I'm getting older. Uh, Hmm. When I started high school football, um, you know, the head and the face mask were very much a part of uh, the way that you were taught to tackle. Um, And that's what I said earlier, the the last um, 20 years, we've come a long way um, with our understanding of, you know, again, what, what, what is, what is a concussion? You know, 25 years ago, if you saw stars, 
that's literally what you called it. Oh, he's just seeing stars. Uh, today, we know that's a concussion. Uh, if you're feeling a little lightheaded, if, you, if your vision goes blurry, you know, 25 years ago, um, that was nothing. You know, the, the only real time that you probably paused on an athlete was if they were knocked unconscious. And, and we know that, and again, I'm not a, a neurologist, uh, but, but, but to be able to say that, okay, that that's probably a little bit more significant and that, that would be a concussion. And now today we know that all these, you know, the, the hit after hit, all of the, the micro um, impacts that these guys are having, um, you know, they are all a lot, I guess, uh, worse for you over the long run than these big hits that get all the publicity. And so um, teaching our kids to properly get their head out of the tackle, um, we start the very first day of practice um, and teach all of our kids down to to where we start football here at, at CPA. Um, what are those proper techniques? How do you get your head out of the tackle? And we start with literally taking one step, then two steps, all very controlled environments. Again, 25 years ago, you, your first 10 minutes of practice would be ramming your head into to another kid. Um, again, because there is that that physicality and that toughness component to the game, and that's really what I think was was uh, the most important part a long time ago. And now today, we know that hey, teaching kids how to do it properly um, is really the most important thing. Making sure these kids are well-functioning adults um, when they get into adulthood. And and we all get into this um, to impact young people for good. And so I think every single guy that, that coaches high school football probably somewhere in their mind, um, you know, has, yes, this something really bad could happen out here, but the, the pluses and the advantages to 15 to 18 year old boys getting to be a part of something bigger than themselves for these boys to learn how to, to be accountable and be responsible to a group mm -hmm. of teammates. Um, I think all of those things, any of us would say that they far outweigh the, the, the chances of, of some catastrophic event happening. And, and so I think that's really the, the, to me, that is the argument here um, of what else would these young people be doing? And they're, you know, I, I think talking to the producers before the show, can, there are can so I, many Can I ask things. you one question? Sorry to jump in, but we yeah. have a little bit of time yeah. left in this segment. You mentioned your two sons who were watching that game yeah. with your, with your mom last Monday night. Do they play football? Uh, my, my seventh grader does my fifth grader or fourth grader does not. He'll play in fifth grade next year. He'll play fifth grade. Are they playing tackle or flag football? Um, they, they both have played flag, but, uh, tackle is what I'm referring to. Okay. Okay. So, you know, do you see their coaches implementing safety measures on their end? Well, I'm I'm in a little bit of a unique spot because I am the <laughs> I'm the head football coach here and, and I'm responsible for the our football program all the way down to fifth grade. So I know I know what we do here. And that that can't be said for every place, obviously, in the in the city or the country um, to have someone that's the, the head football coach in charge of all the way down to the fifth grade. But that's how our school sets it up. And so I know that. You know, at our at our non-contact camp we have in June, you know, we don't we don't have any pads on yet. We still teach them how to tackle properly and, and getting their head out of the tackle. And so, yes, my, my boys, um, that's what they learn. And that's really what I'm most concerned about. And, and we don't put a whole lot on our, our coaches, but trying to al allow them all to know how to teach it properly and, and allow the players to learn that that's really the only 
goal that they have besides that the kids have a, a lot of fun in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade football, so much fun that they want to play the next year. You know, we're not really yeah. concerned about scores. We're not really concerned about schemes, but we're going to teach how to tackle properly. And we're going to make sure that they have a great experience just as a part of being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. That is former NFL quarterback and head coach at Christian Presbyterian, Ingle Martin. He was joined by Dr. Aaron M. Yango Khan from the Vanderbilt Sports Concussion Center. I want to thank you both for being with us today. Really appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about how local fans and parents are feeling about the state of American football. Didn't DeMar Hamlin's injury change how you feel about football? Tweet us about it and tell us about it by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Anyone who knows me even slightly well knows that I am a big-time fan of college and pro football. During the fall and winter, it's not hard to predict where I'll be on most Saturday and Sunday afternoons. But to be honest with you, I hesitated watching any games this weekend. My fire for football was dampened a bit by the injury to DeMar Hamlin last week. Hearing about a player collapse on the field left me sick to my stomach. I really, it really put into, into perspective that at the end of the day, football is a game with a ball. Some of the world's greatest athletes are paid sometimes tens of millions of dollars to play this game, but it comes at a cost to the players and their families. All of this is done as a fan with my support. So after last Monday night, I had to ask myself, are you going to continue to watch This is an ethical and moral concern for fans like me, and I have a feeling I'm not the only one who's thinking like this. We'd love for you to join the conversation, so tweet us at ThisIsNashville. I'd like to welcome my next guests. Jamal Stewart is a well-known name in our city. He is the head football coach of the East Nashville High Eagles, and he's joined by therapist and lifelong football fan Eric Insignaris. Thank you both for being here. Welcome to This Is Nashville, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You know, I saw, want to start off by asking both of you, you know, how you reacted to DeMar Hamlin's injury. Coach Stewart, did you see it? And what were your most immediate thoughts when it happened? Uh, yes, I saw it. Uh, the first thing I saw, it kind of shocked me because that's something you don't see every day on the football field, you know, something new. So I actually saw him get up, make a good tackle, and then he just paused and fell backwards. And then seeing the urgency of everyone on the field, you know, you know how serious the situation was. Mm-hmm. And you knew that it was something bigger than a concussion because things like that don't happen on the normal. Did you talk about it with anyone else who saw it? And what was their reaction? So we have a group chat with like the local Metro coaches and, you know, some of my players, we have a group chat. So, you know, we, we immediately, the text messages just start going in and out, in and out, in and out. So we talked about it and everybody had their opinion and immediately everyone knew it was no concussion related issue. It was more of a, cardiovascular issue and that was the scary part because like I said every day that doesn't happen so you know this could be a severe situation right now Mm. Eric how did you react to last Monday night's events Uh, I'd have to say the exact same way just you know a lot of shock Uh, earlier in the day we were watching some bowl games and there was a young man that you know took a really bad hit and was down for a good period of time and had to have ambulance come but you know he gave the thumbs up when he was leaving so you know it was kind of 
status quo. Like, okay, he's fine. You were expecting to see that here probably about, you know, two minutes into them working with him. And then when you didn't see that happen and you started seeing players be upset, the commentators not really knowing what to do in that situation, all of a sudden it took on a whole new life. And so talking about that with my family, because my son was watching at that time, he's seven. He just got finished playing flag football, uh, you know, wants to be a football player Mm -hmm. and talking about my mother-in-law and and my wife who, you know, I had to pull teeth to get him to play, mm-hmm. <laughs> to play flag football. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really, you know, a sobering moment for all of us to go, hey, you know, this is real life. There are injuries that can occur. And sometimes things can happen that you don't, you really don't know what's happened. And so it was just a, a moment to, to kind of go, okay, hey, mm-hmm. what, what are we doing? And uh, this has become bigger than a game. For listeners, full transparency, Eric and I know each other. We've even gone to see some games. I would say that we're both kind of big-time fans, uh, one of the biggest Titans fans in the city. Uh, You know, watching this kind of, well, hearing about it, I didn't watch it. I was having dinner, and I came back and turned the television on, and I saw just the ESPN studios kind of despondent and a little bit morbid. Um, My phone was also blowing up from text messages from friends. I felt really different about the game, this game that I love and I dedicate so much of my own personal time to did those feelings start to arise in you, Eric, after this experience? Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, when you when you look at what happened and you you see just how you know how quick things could turn on their ear, um, it was a moment where I had to had to step back and even you know think about what if that was my son, you know, mm-hmm. out there on the field, how would I be feeling? Thinking about how those folks in the stands, you know, were dealing with that, and looking at just the loss of words that people that get paid to talk and to talk through these, you know, these moments, the fact that they, they just couldn't, you know, couldn't grasp what was happening at that moment because nobody knew what was happening. You know, I think that was the the part that had me going, okay, I'm, I, I'm a little shook, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I'm not afraid to admit, I, you know, got a little emotional for him because, you know, it's a person's life. Yeah. Now, Coach Stewart, I understand that you got into coaching because you could no longer play football. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What were some of the injuries you suffered as a result of playing the game? Well, actually, when I first attended Cumberland University, I had a heart murmur. And mm-hmm. that put me uh, out of the game for a while. And then I had uh, tore my meniscus in MCL my senior year of high school, and it was still some some bad scar tissue and things of that nature. And it's kind of... The whole ongoing process of trying to get back on the field just kind of kind of blew my mind and my love for it. So I always wanted to stay a part of the game. So the next thing that popped up in my head was coaching. So, you know, that's kind of the process that went through my head. You've been coaching for a while now. How have you seen the how have you seen an emphasis on player safety change over the years? Uh like Coach Martin mentioned earlier, we, it's a big emphasis. Uh when we first get ready to go to pads, we have this thing called acclimation period. So acclimation period consists of getting you ready for the heat, but also getting ready to put on the equipment. So, you know, we read the the bylaws of the helmet and how the proper uses, use of the helmet and the techniques for the helmet and things of that nature. Like, we kind of stress that. You know, like you said, the entries have been decreasing, but still you really don't want to be that school or that person that has to explain to someone's parent, loved ones, friends about – how this occurred by not properly using your equipment, right? Mm-hmm. So we've kind of stressed the issue of, hey, this is the right way and this is what we're going to practice. 
even though we have this long list of things we want to do at practice, that can wait until we get to mastering the right fundamental to using this equipment. So, you know, it turns out that CPR professionals, they performed CPR on Hamlin and that was vital to his recovery. I'm curious, Coach Stewart, like what procedures have you all put in place for medical emergencies during a game at East Nashville High? So basically a lot of the teachers, if not all the teachers, are required to take CPR classes in the summertime to, uh, you know, just to just to be prepared for those situations, especially if you're in like PE, gym, weight room, and things of that nature, you're kind of required to do it. So, but you know, we partner with like the Titans Head, Head Heads Up Foundation and things like that. So we we really put ourselves in all the right areas to prepare ourselves for any kind of situation. Even though we can't prepare for what occurred, well, you can't expect things like that to occur for, to Demar. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, you try to go over every scenario. You try to go over, you know, we went from pro, uh, COVID protocols, equipment protocols, just anything in their environment that can possibly have a situation with our kids. Because the first thing you want to you want to play football, but you really want to make sure we're safe while we're playing football. So we try to not check all the boxes when it comes to things of that nature. Now I know the NFL has increased player safety guidelines for, when, particularly when it comes to practice. They even they even levy heavy fines for teams that are found to violate some of these practice guidelines. You mentioned about this acclimation period, but what have you done to change your practices to keep players safer? Are you all hitting during the week? So just like Coach Martin mentioned at first, he's, which is also a good friend of mine, we practice taking the helmet out of tackling. Uh, we at, at some point of the season, like midway or, or a third of the season, we don't tackle as much. You know, we really want to be healthy for Friday night. So we really harp on fundamentals and things mm -hmm. of that nature. Fundamentals are way more important in the weight room. Fundamentals, like I don't care about you lifting this twelve times if it's wrong, because it's down the road that could be a big injury for you. Is like you know in your legs or your back or that things like that. So we really harp on fundamental football in everything we do. So like I said, it's less equipment, uh, just coaching step by step. Hey, step one, this is step two, and we coach the steps. We don't coach the just hey tackle him. That's it because if that's not the right. On Friday night, we don't want to put out a bad product for, you know, on Friday night. Now, Eric, do you feel like the NFL is doing a good job of warning people about the dangers of playing football? I think they've gotten better. I think they've been forced to get better. Um, I think there's still a little bit of room for growth with it. Um, there are some things you can account for and some things you can't. Like what happened with DeMar, can't really account for that. You know, you just got to have your people in place, have the right personnel. I would say they... They probably did the best they could do, you know, having everybody in place and showing this is why we go through the protocols. This is why we have, you know, these people on staff. Um, as far as, you know, warning people, I don't necessarily think that they've had to do it as much now because it's gotten so much press that, you know, mm. there's movies about it. There's other things going on. So, you know, it's it's not really a forced situation now, um, but it's, you know, it's very prevalent. I think it's up to parents to have the conversation with the coaches, you know, just like, you know, brother mentioned here, you know, what kind of protocols they have in place? What are they doing? How to practice? Looks like they can make an educated decision. Uh, so that, you know, th there is some personal responsibility on the parent, on the players mm -hmm. to, you know, take into account what needs to be done. And of course, you know, the coaches on the lower levels to help. So by the time they get to the NFL, you know, you alluded, what's going on. you alluded to the difficulty in convincing your wife to let your seven-year-old play flag football, mm -hmm. which, while it takes 
90% of the contact out. I was a flag. I played flag football and I was a little league flag football coach. There is some contact. I had busted lips and bloody noses just from that. What do you talk to your son about as far as going out there and having fun, but being safe in this very, very violent game? Well, you know, I think first things first, you have to let them know how to properly, once again, technique is, is everything, you know, even in flag football, you don't you don't want to lead with your head. <laughs> you don't want to dive after somebody. That's why they have they have got certain rules in place with flag football that you can't do certain moves to try and attempt to get a flag for those safety purposes. So I think edu- once again, parents got to educate themselves. They have to know kind of what they're talking about to help their kids, you know, maneuver that. Uh, something else that I do is, you know, I try to use real life examples with just looking at a football game. When I'm watching a football game with my son, we're enjoying it, but I'm actually talking to him the whole time saying, hey, do you see how this guy tackled here? Do you see why he did it this way? Do you understand why, you know, this guy got a targeting penalty and what that means? So that he starts to have an understanding of how he can control his body, even even in those moments, just the level of, you know, focus that you can have mm-hmm. to control your body as best you can to avoid doing certain hits, avoid, you know, hurting yourself. Uh, But, you know, at some point also you have to let the reins go and you've got to just let them play. And, you know, you pray that everything, you know, will work out. Yeah. Now, you know, the NFL needs high school and college programs to maintain a steady supply of players. Now, Coach Stewart, I know that you and your team, you know, you mentioned that um, you worked with the NFL program. What responsibility do you think that they have, the NFL has, to ensure that younger players who are hoping for the one in 10,000 chance to maybe play in the NFL are safe no matter what level of football they're playing? Uh, I think they're doing a good job right now what they're doing, the programs that allow us to work with them and to teach the same techniques that they're trying to work on teaching as well. Uh, Nowadays, the kids will respond to what they see on TV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they dress a certain way because who they see on Sunday or things of that nature. They wear their helmet a certain way. So just continuing to be an advocate of, hey, this is the right way to do it. This is the cool way to do it. If you make anything cool for these kids, they're going to try to do it. So, you know, the, a different version of the tackling, like the Seahawk roll, or that was, a, that was a tackle that people's been talking about where you just – go through their legs and roll instead of using your helmet, like helmet to helmet, face mask. When that became a big thing, now our kids want to practice tackling like this. So Mm -hmm. they can say, I'm tackling like this guy, you know? Yeah, it's important that you mention what we see on television. I'm from the generation where Steve Atwater would come and try to take people's heads off, and a lot of people copied that. Correct. But a lot of people paid for it as well. I want to thank both of you for joining us. That is Jamal Stewart, head football coach of the East Nashville High School Eagles, and he was joined by football fan Eric Insignaris. I want to thank you both for being with us today, and good luck to East Nashville next season. Thank you. Thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour tomorrow. A decade ago, it didn't exist. Now, it's big business. Influencers. Who are some of Nashville's biggest influencers, and how is that influence affecting our city? This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our...
our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Laurent and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Justin Rose and Marquise Munson. Conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Let us find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.